Hello and welcome to The Bigger Picture, a division of Broken Picture Podcast. I'm Amy and that's it. I am alone. This is the very first time this has happened, so please bear with me as I make my way through this episode without Dan and Brad here to make puns, uh, spout theories, do accents for reasons we can't quite understand, and, you know, everything else they bring to the table. In all seriousness, they really did want to be here today, and they've actually sent me some questions as sort of prompts and uh, other things for me to answer, so I don't feel quite so much like I'm monologuing into the void, um, even though that's exactly what's going to happen, and bear with me because you're going to hear my voice for a very long time. All right, so what is so important to discuss that I just couldn't wait for Dan and Brad to be available? Well, that is, of course, my beloved Toronto International Film Festival. I saw 16 films this year. It should have been 17. We will get to that later. Um, And a friend of the podcast pointed out that it would be kind of a waste not to do anything with all that time spent in the dark in the movies. So (laughs) therefore, I am here and I am going to talk at you for a long time. Uh, I should also note that I'm partially here by myself because Brad kept up his tradition of only seeing a Midnight Madness movie with me, and Dan saw a few, I want to say three or four, but definitely fell asleep during some or quite possibly all of them. So they didn't have a lot to talk about, and they are completely okay with me taking this journey by myself. That said, let's dive in, and I will keep this as spoiler-free as possible. Uh, The first film I saw was Black Conflux, which was directed by Nicole Dorsey. It's a drama set in 1980s Newfoundland, and it traces two separate characters. We have a teenage girl named Jackie and a troubled man named Dennis. Jackie is dealing with mostly typical coming-of-age stuff, a couple bigger things than teenagers normally have to deal with, but primarily typical teen girl things. And Dennis is grappling with something much darker. And I have to admit that I felt a little ambivalent about this one when it was over. I wasn't completely convinced that it had totally pulled off what it wanted to do. And I'm still not, but I do find myself thinking of it often, and I think there's so much to admire here. Um, This is Nicole Dorsey's debut feature, and it's really impressively lived in. She has done such a fantastic job of world-building, because these are characters who have believable, fully-shaped friends, coworkers, relatives, lives, and homes. You really get the sense that these people are in this situation, and I think that Ella Ballantyne as Jackie and Ryan McDonald as Dennis are both really excellent. The supporting cast is excellent, too. So overall, thumbs up, even though I still kind of go back and forth a little bit. Um, Next up was The Lighthouse, the second feature from Robert Eggers, the director of The Witch. And this one is a very stark black and white two-hander starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson as lighthouse keepers who go mad while tending to, you guessed it, a lighthouse. Um, Okay, I don't... (laughs) I don't know where to start with The Lighthouse. This movie is singularly nuts. It is not for everybody, not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I'm going to borrow Dan's uh, term, willfully difficult, to describe this one because it is. Um, I did really like it. It's gorgeous to look at with some beautifully gonzo performances, but I'd almost like to see it again so as to unpack what's underneath it all because I think you kind of just get hit with the crazy on the first view and then it's like, okay what's actually happening here. Um, So it's out in October, and I already look forward to the discourse and, truthfully, the memes that are going to come from this. 
Technically, the next film that I saw was Color Out of Space, directed by Richard Stanley and starring Nicolas Cage. But I'm going to hold off on that one right now because it was part of the Midnight Madness lineup. I saw six of the ten films in that program, so I'm just going to do a kind of a block review of that experience at the end. So we'll get to that in a bit. Skipping ahead, we come to my favorite film of the festival, the wonderful, exquisite murder mystery, Knives Out. Uh, this is written and directed by Ryan Johnson and has a murderer's row of a cast, including Daniel Craig, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Chris Evans, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Lakeith Stanfield, and Christopher Plummer. And that's not even all of them. Uh, this one I especially don't want to say too much about because it is a whodunit, and so far the marketing has not given away any spoilers or even many of the biggest laughs in this extremely smart and funny film. Um, I will just say that this is a true ensemble piece with each performance going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the others and everyone keeps up. And I really hope this is a huge hit. Don't let this be My Widows, the movie that I loved so much last year at TIFF that came out and landed with a complete thud and is since, you know, almost becoming a film that time forgot. Um, yeah, just hit me up in November after you've seen it and I will gush about it in great detail. I love this movie, but I can't talk about it. Uh, in conjunction with Knives Out, Ryan Johnson programmed a selection this year for TIFF Cinematheque, which I think is kind of a best-kept secret of the festival. It's a series of free screenings of classic films that have some sort of tie to a featured selection that year, and Johnson chose to program The Last of Sheila, a murder mystery from 1973, which was directed by Herbert Ross and written by, hang on for this one, Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins, a dream team I didn't know I wanted until I had it. Um, since this isn't a current film, I won't spend too much time with it other than to say that this is also a super fun and inventive movie. I think you can track it down on Amazon Prime from what I understand. Um, definitely check it out if you like murder mysteries. You can definitely see some influences from it in Knives Out once you see that as well. Uh, the only caveat I have with The Last of Sheila is that it has a really nonchalant attitude about pedophilia that feels really weird and like not in like a, oh, it was a different time, it was 1973, like it's just kind of brushed aside and it's very weird and very jarring, but otherwise it's great fun. So definitely, definitely look into that one. Now, on Monday morning, I was supposed to see Jojo Rabbit. And on my way home from Midnight Madness on Sunday, I should have double-checked my schedule to see that it started at 10 a.m., not 10.30 a.m., as I had convinced myself. By the time I woke up, started getting ready, and then finally double-checked, there was just no way it was happening, even if I called a cab. I needed truly to teleport to get there in time. Uh, so I hope whoever got my seat from the rush line enjoyed the movie. Um, this has never happened to me before. I hope it never happens again, because it really did suck. But at least this comes out in October. It won the People's Choice, so we'll be able to see it kind of without the festival glow and see really if it deserved that or not. I did make it that day to see Bad Education, which was directed by Corey Finley. Uh, he also directed Thoroughbreds, which I absolutely loved. This was based on the true story of a high school in Long Island that became the center of a pretty major scandal when the school governor and board of directors were discovered to have siphoned millions of dollars from the school's budget over the years. Hugh Jackman stars in it, and it's possibly my favorite performance from him to date. I really appreciated that the film didn't over-sensationalize the events or the way that the scandal was uncovered. The mundane ends up kind of becoming sublime, and I think that that's a really interesting approach, and they 
I appreciated the restraints and the effort to tell the story more or less as it happened. Uh, the screenwriter actually attended the high school that this was based on. He was a very junior classman when it was happening. Um, but I think that having his perspective and I saw him at the Q&A and he said, you know, the things that maybe seem the most outlandish were the things that we really needed to make sure were kept in the film because those are the things that are true. So that's really fascinating. Um, I did feel like there were a few moments or subplots that are slightly underbaked, but overall the main plot is strong enough and the performances are certainly strong enough to make up for that. Um, HBO actually picked this one up at the festival, and I believe they will premiere it sometime in 2020, so keep your eyes out for that. Whew. Um, I next saw Manal Beg's coming-of-age story, Hala, about a Pakistani-American teen wrestling with where her cultural and religious beliefs align, not just kind of in her life as an American teen, but also within herself. Um, Geraldine Vizwanathan uh, stars in it. She also appeared in Blockers a couple years ago and at the festival in Bad Education. She's great in that, too. And she fully realizes this young woman. This is truly a young talent to keep your eyes up for. She's fantastic. Um... It's often said that with storytelling, the best way to be universal is to be specific, and this film demonstrates that fully. It's certainly not a story you've never seen before, teen girl growing up, fighting with her parents, getting interested in boys, all of that, but you've probably never seen it told this way or through this lens, and I think that this is a really important story that we need to be looking at. Uh, and it also helps that the film is great, so definitely check it out. Now, I know I've given mostly positive reviews to everything so far, but I did see two glaring missteps, and I really want to make sure I'm devoting some time to those. So I'm going to move a little more quickly through Uncut Gems, the new crime comedy thriller from the Safdie brothers, and Anne at 13,000 Feet, a Canadian drama from Kazik Rudwanski. Uh, Uncut Gems stars Adam Sandler as a crooked jeweler who gets put through the ringer over an opal, uh, while Anne stars Dara Campbell as a woman hanging on by a thread. These films could not be more different from each other. However, I think they could both be described as kinetic, exhausting in a good way, and wholly affirmed in both their singular identities and in their influences. Um, Uncut Gems has an energy like very little else I've seen other than maybe the Safdie Brothers' good time. Um, it's just unrelenting, and it keeps going. And by the end of it, yeah, you have a bit of a stress headache, and you feel like maybe you just drank like five cups of coffee. But that's very much to the film's uh, credit and to its effect and how propulsive the storytelling is. It's really, really strong and a lot of fun. However, I would say if the Safdie brothers are not your jam, if you saw Good Time and you hated it, you will hate Uncut Gems, so don't go for it. Uh, Anne is a much more kind of quiet kineticism, but it's shot mostly in close-ups and it's you could not be more in this character's head if you tried. Um, so it, that and she's <laughs> that has its own certain propulsive rhythm to it too. Um, so they are kind of like a weird pairing in that regard. They have nothing to do with each other, and yet kind of fit comfortably in some similar boxes. Really interesting. All right, now for the duds. Uh, we have Lucy in the Sky from Noah Hawley of the great Fargo television adaptation, and it stars Natalie Portman, John Hamm, Dan Stevens, who sadly was not at my screening, and Ellen Burstyn. The pedigree on the page means it should have been great, but allow me to let you in on a secret. It is really, 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 really hard to make a good movie. Like, really, really hard. Anything can go wrong and set you off on the wrong path, and something went very wrong here. The first hour is mostly just kind of 
mediocre and boring. Portman plays an astronaut named Lucy, who's just gone to space for the first time and has a hard time grappling with being back on Earth, and thus embarks on an affair with John Hamm, a fellow astronaut. There are some hints of the mess to come, uh, mainly her <laughs> Tennessee Williams Dinner Theater southern accent, uh, Holly's bizarrely frequent shifting of aspect ratios, and Dan Stevens' Ned Flanders mustache. But almost to the second that hour two begins, things really go off the rails with the most obvious needle drop. Yes, it's that one. Uh, in the same way that the lighthouse is singularly nuts in a good way, this too has its own identity and its mess, and I have to give it a certain amount of credit for that. It's a little bit of a you have to see it to know exactly what happened here because it's kind of beyond description. The worst thing that I saw at the festival by far belongs to The Giant by David Rayboy. Good lord. This is the longest I've heard an audience go without applauding at the end of the credits of a, of a TIFF screening. I myself sighed very loudly and did not applaud. Uh, the synopsis sounds pretty interesting on the page. Uh, a teenager's small town life is changed forever when a series of murders begin on the, night, the same night that her missing boyfriend suddenly reappears in this dark, challenging, suspenseful thriller. Sounds like extremely my shit, I would go so far as to say. And then we get to the execution. <sighs> and yikes. I don't think I've seen something so in love with itself and so up its own ass in a really long time, maybe even ever. It's empty, it is hollow, it's obtuse for the sake of being obtuse, it's completely incoherent in that way that certain films can be where it just thinks it's smarter than you and it's your fault for not getting it. Only there's nothing to get. There's nothing there. Ugh. Oh, sorry, this movie gets my blood boiling. Um, there are a few positives. Uh, it's shot on film and it does look lovely, even though it's just ripping off anything you've seen by Terrence Malick in the last 10 years. Um, and Odessa Young is engaging as our lead, even though we can't really follow her anywhere because there's nowhere to go. <sighs> Do not want, did not like. No, 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 not good. Thankfully, we are not ending this recap on a sour note because we still have to talk about my favorite program at TIFF, Midnight Madness. I've used the word singular a few times today, but I need to use it again here. Nowhere else at TIFF will Nicolas Cage start singing during a Q&A. You won't see a programmer enter in full Mountie uniform and lead a rousing version of O Canada to precede a biopic that depicts William Lyon Mackenzie King as a shoe fetishist anywhere else. You especially won't have the privilege to see a Ugandan action film with live narration and skits that interrupt the movie, or Skype with the child stars still in Uganda when the screening is over. I got to experience all of this and more this year. It is midnight, it is mad, and I'm in for life. But the movies themselves. The aforementioned Color Out of Space is a visually stunning H.P. Lovecraft adaptation that has a really fun and trippy third act, but it takes a bit of a chore to get there. It's a domestic family drama. They moved out to this farmhouse. The teenage daughter doesn't really want to be there. The son is a stoner. The mom's getting over cancer, and it's... Just a bit of a, uh, you know, we're sort of going through the motions and then the collar stuff starts to come into play. Um, there's literally like a collar meteor that lands in their yard as best I can explain it. I am certainly no Lovecraft expert, so please correct me on Twitter. I know you will. Um, the practical effects are very cool. There's a lot of interesting stuff that happens to the animals on the farm. There's tons of alpacas, there's a horse, and all of them are affected by the color in some way. So that's really interesting, kind of a different experience. Um, but yeah, it's 
it, it, it's got its pros and its cons, that's for sure. And Nicolas Cage, as fun as he is, he's always fun, but he's not quite turned up to 11 the way that you expect he might be. Um, I definitely still think it's worth checking out if you're interested. It's still my least favorite of the six. Saint Maud is the debut feature from Rose Glass, and it is a slow burn that ignites in more ways than one by the end of the film. <laughs> um, she is a newly devout nurse who wants nothing more than to save the soul of her dying patient, and we explore both Maud's relationship to her faith and to her sanity. Uh, Morphid Clark is haunting as Maud, and Jennifer Eel is equal turns enticing and alienating as her patient. Um, I was really lucky to see many feature debuts this year, and Glass certainly has me ready and eager to see what she will do next. I thought this was really, really strong. The Vigil takes a haunting and puts it in a deeply religious Jewish community. A man who's recently entered the secular world after a faith-based trauma is hired to sit shomer or watch over a dead body the night before this burial, a practice believed to keep the evil spirits away. However, there is a spirit already in the house, and they want a new home. This is another feature debut by Keith Thomas, and it's a suitably spooky and unique enough take on a haunting and possession story. One scare in particular found my friend and I, hello Jeff, uh, slapping at each other's arms and kind of like wailing and shouting a little bit. It was probably very irritating in hindsight, uh, but it got us. It got us good. Um, and I think uh, Keith Thomas is a novelist by trade, and this is, his, as I said, his first take at film. And I think there's certainly some literary elements that he can maybe do a little bit more to extrapolate in a visual medium. Then we get to The 20th Century, directed by Matthew Rankin, and this is another debut, and that's the wild Mackenzie King fable. And it's probably my favorite midnight this year. Uh, I've never quite seen anything like it. It is audacious, insane, hilarious, and all played with such a straight face. It was described pre-festival as a heritage minute on acid, and that's exactly correct. I don't quite know how to prepare someone for this film other than to just go forth, and I hope you don't think I'm insane for loving this. Okay, we are almost done, I promise. Um, the Vast of Night by Andrew Patterson, yet another debut, I, is truly completely spellbinding. Um, it's set in 1950s New Mexico in a very small town, and it follows a radio DJ and a switchboard operator as they investigate a mysterious, mysterious frequency um, that comes across over their machines. Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz are truly, truly excellent as our leads. They are contending with dialogue that would probably make the girl Gilmore Girls blush, and they do it with ease. Um, there's some really fantastic long takes. There's really interesting visual stuff happening in this movie, um, as well as with the dialogue. Um, so I am super excited to check this out again. Amazon Prime grabbed it at the festival. I can't wait to go back. Definitely make sure you check this one out. And it was also really nice to have a bit of a different speed at midnight because it is, it's not the slow burn of St. Maud or the Vigil. It's its own tempo in a really interesting way. Um, so definitely, definitely happy I saw that one. And finally, Crazy World, the Ugandan action film that closed the festival. Honestly, trying to explain this if you weren't there is kind of reductive because this really is meant to be shared with a big, excited crowd. And with live narration, um, we had this provided by VJ Emmy, who's a very, very well-known video jockey or video joker in Uganda. And that's basically their role. They live narrate the film all the way through. They talk over the boring parts. They get you hyped up for the action parts. It's super, super cool. 
Um, it was just a really inspiring experience to see a group of people make a movie with nothing just because they love movies and they want to prevent their children from being kidnapped. That is not a joke. That is partially why the director made this movie. <laughs> it is to dissuade people from kidnapping his children. That is very real. Um, I feel really, really fortunate to have seen this film. Well, Hollywood forever. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show that Dan and Brad had a few questions for me, and a lot of them have already been answered as I went, but let me just get to a few more. No, you cannot have $500. Yes, you should keep watching Riverdale. And I really don't care for Nelly Furtado's I'm Like a Bird. Now time for some housekeeping and shoutouts. So we promised you guys a Hobbs and Shaw episode, and we didn't do one. We did see it. I think we'll probably just recap anything relevant when we see Fast and Furious 9, which we will talk about. I promise I will make sure that that happens. Um, Hobbs and Shaw was a lot of fun. I don't think it needed a full episode. Just my opinion. Um, we might be back before then. We might not be. We'll just sort of see how it goes. Maybe we'll want to talk about the Oscars. Maybe we'll want to talk about movies at the end of the year. I don't know. We're just sort of going by the seat of our pants at this point. Our social media for the show does still exist, but we're not really on there. So if you want to talk about movies, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Soviet Movies. Very long story. Um, but yeah, if you were at TIFF and you want to talk about anything that you saw, that we both saw, please hit me up. I'm always down for a chat. Uh, and yeah, so now we come to just the thank yous. We're almost done. This, I was very worried when I started that I was just going to be monologuing for like an hour. But yeah, we're at a, a scant like 20-something minutes. I could, probably could have slowed down. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you, time. Thank you to Chris Cross for making me do this and seeing some movies with me. Thank you to Jeff, Maggie, Kat, Eric, and of course, Dan and Brad for joining me at some screenings and hanging out during the festival. Thank you to Ian, an engineer who is making this episode possible. <laughs> Thank you times a million to the programming team at TIFF for all of your hard work, your selections, but especially to Peter Kuplowski, our fearless midnight leader. And thank you, of course, to the volunteers who keep things moving and running at the festival and all the folks behind the scenes who maybe don't get all the shout outs they deserve. And before I go, guys, support your local cinemas. If you are in Toronto, go to the Royal, to the Review, to the Fox. If you are in my hometown area of Kitchener, Cambridge, Waterloo, go to the Princess and the Princess Twin. If you're not in either of those places, find your local and support it. Rep Cinemas especially really need you right now. Because Disney bought the Fox catalog, they can't program a lot of the stuff that they could rely on to get business. Something like, you know, die hard during Christmas. Not going to happen anymore. So really try to make an effort to get out when you can. Um, if Midnight Madness sounds like extremely your shit, check out the Laser Blast Film Society, uh, Neon Dream Cinema Club, Drunk Feminist Films, What the Film Festival, or Colin Getty's Kino Vortex, among many, many others. TIFF might come but once a year, but you can keep the spirit alive year-round. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. <laughs>